again. Thank you for your prayers as we continue to seek what God would have for us in the rest of this service. I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Romans 15. Romans 15. The brethren here uh, asked that I would share uh, two, gave me two senses of direction. Uh, one was the message I've just shared, which was a sign for the Brain Bible Conference that didn't take place. Lord willing, hopefully it will take place this coming July. And then the other one was on courtship, and we'll look at that tonight. Tonight's service will be uh, directed towards courtship and preparation for marriage, etc. But they let me choose what I would have to share here. And what I felt the Lord lay on my heart was a message that is a message of encouragement for the other side of youth. We generally think of youth, we think of 12, 13, 14, 16, 18, coming into what we consider youth. But there can also be some struggles as we see our youth moving away and wondering where God is going to lead next. So let's begin here with Romans 15. I'll explain why I've chosen to start here. We then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let every one of us please his neighbor for his good to edification. For even Christ pleased not himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of them that reproached thee fell on me. For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. Now the God of patience and consolation grant that you be like-minded one towards another, according to Christ Jesus, that ye may with one mind and one mouth glorify God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Wherefore, receive you one another as Christ also received us to the glory of God. A number of things here in these verses that I'd like for us to, to pull out. We are called to be like-minded. We are called to offer each other comfort and consolation. We are called to have one mind in Christ. And we are called to receive one another as Christ received us to the glory of God. But there's another interesting verse that falls into this. First we start out in this passage that we are to please others, even as Christ didn't please himself. But the one I want to think about right now is verse 4. For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of scriptures might have hope. So this entire book that God has preserved for us, the living word, his revelation of himself to us so that we can know him and find direction and comfort for our lives. It was all written for our learning that we might through patience and comfort of the scriptures have hope. So this, this scripture speaks into every aspect, every era of our lives. So this morning, I want to have a message of appreciation and encouragement for a very important group of people in the body of Christ. And I'm going to talk about a few of them in the scripture, and you tell me what they have in common. One was a forerunner of Jesus Christ, John the Baptist. The other one wrote a majority of the New Testament, Apostle Paul. One was in the temple praying and fasting when Joseph and Mary brought baby Jesus in for the ritual to be performed on him. 
And then Daniel and his three friends and many others. What did they all have in common? They were unmarried, right? Anna was a widow. Some were never married. So the sermon title is Encouragement and Affirmation to the Unmarried. And the demographics show that we live in a society that is moving more and more towards less people being married. Somewhere between 45 and 50% of general population in our society is unmarried today. Now, we know a lot of that is due to divorce, but also people are choosing not to marry at a higher rate than before. The church-going population is slightly lower. It ranges from 25 to 45% in most churches. Now, you may think that sounds high. Well, I went through the directory at the Bank Mennonite Church where I serve and counted all the people over the age of 16. Now, I know we don't get married at 16, but just started there to move forward. And in the congregation where I'm called to serve, 35% of the congregation over the age of 16 are unmarried. So I got the peak directory and looked at that one. I don't have an Ebenezer directory, but the peak directory was 25%. So it's a very large portion of the body of Christ in which we are serving, and a very important part of the body. And this can be a very positive thing for the church if we approach it from a God-honoring viewpoint. Now let's turn over to 1 Corinthians 7. 1 Corinthians 7. Recognize where we're going with this. Verses 32 and following. But I would have you without carefulness that he that is unmarried careth for the things that belong to the Lord, that how he may please the Lord. But he that is married careth for the things that are of the world, how he may please his wife. There is a difference also between a wife and a virgin. The unmarried woman careth for the things of the Lord, that she may be holy both in body and in spirit. But she that is married careth for the things of this world, how she may please her husband. And this I speak for your own profit, that I may, not that I may cast a snare upon you, but for that which is comely, that you may be able to tend upon the Lord without distraction. So this scripture tells us, reminds us of the reality that to the unmarried, there are opportunities to serve. There are doors that open that those who are in a marriage relationship may not have the same opportunity to serve in. I'm thinking of our home congregation. We have Sister Rachel Rank now is at home for a visit. She's serving in Jordan. She serves in a very unique way there, reaching out to children and ladies and teaching, and, and she can devote all of her time to that. She doesn't need to come home and cook and clean and provide for a husband in that way. So that's a real blessing, and I'm sure you can think of many others uh, in your life that have been a blessing as they have allowed God to uh, lead in their lives, although marriage is not part of their current experience, whether it be through being single, through being widowed or widower, or whatever the situation is. So then we have a question before us. How does the unmarried person then find the fulfillment in life 
that Apostle Paul found in his life and encouraged those who God has called to that to also find that fulfillment in their life. I invite you to turn with me to the book of Ephesians, and we'll notice something about where our worth and our value and our fulfillment are to come from as we walk with the Lord as Christians. Our worth, our value, our fulfillment, and our completeness is found in our relationship with God first and foremost. If God calls us into marriage and a family relationship, then that grows out of that. But first and foremost, our value, fulfillment, and completeness is found in our relationship with God and not in our marital status. So I guess what I'm thinking of somewhat this morning is youth, coming into youth, wondering where God's going to lead in this. And maybe we're reaching the point where we're finding that we're not as young as we used to be, and we're still maybe wondering, where is God leading? Does God want me to, to be married? Does God want me to be unmarried and serve him in that capacity? What does God have for me, and how should I walk and follow him at this junction or crossroads of my life? Maybe you're facing some decisions. Where do I go from here, and how do I serve him faithfully? Let's notice where we find our value and fulfillment and identity as children of God. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, to the saints which are at Ephesus and to the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. That's all. That's everyone. Those spiritual blessings. According, he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace, wherein he hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence." And having made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure which he hath purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him, and whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his will, that we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in God. And I'll stop reading there at verse 12. So we find here that we are accepted in Christ. We are considered beloved in Christ and we are adopted and become children of God. Notice verse 6. We are to the praise of the glory of His grace wherein He made us accepted in the Beloved. And as I've studied this and gleaned from others on the subject, I have elimin I'm attempting to eliminate a word from my vocabulary, and that word is single. Because I've learned through this, through the scripture, that no one who is in relationship with Christ is truly single. Amen. We are with Him. We walk with Him. We are in Him. We find our fulfillment in Him. I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. 
In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That is our position in Christ. We have been adopted. And we are accepted in him. So our value and our fulfillment in life does not depend on others' acceptance of us. It depends upon our, our surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. There is where we find acceptance. And I believe Joseph understood that. Even though he was rejected by everyone in his family but his father, he remained faithful to the one who accepted him. And that is where he found his value and his directive for life. So no one is single who is walking with Christ. The second thing we see here, that we've been adopted. So we are part of the family of God, the body of Christ. Romans 8.14 says this, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God, and the Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. So we are in the family of God together. So does our marital status have any effect on this relationship in God through Christ? No. Everyone can be in Christ, accepted, loved, and made whole. We notice another thing in the scripture, that the unmarried and orphans are special to God. They have a special place in his heart. Psalm 68 says this, Sing unto God, sing praises to his name, extol him that rideth upon the heavens, his name is Jehovah. Rejoice before him, verse 5. He is a father to the fatherless, a judge of the widows, is God in his holy habitation. God setteth the solitary in families. So God has a special place in his heart for those who are unmarried. Those who have lost parents and may not have close family ties that some enjoy. We notice also that God is a provider and a protector in verse 5. God cares for those who are his. And it says he sets the solitary in families. He sets those without family in family. And I want to challenge us. I'd say as much of this message now is, is a challenge and encouragement to those of us who may be married and have families as it is to the unmarried. Where, were the, where does the family come from that the scripture says here that God sets the solitary in families? That is us. That God calls us to reach out to those around us. And I'm thankful that one of the uh, influences of my life and my childhood was I seldom remember a Christmas or a family get-together where my mother or my parents, my father passed away when I was 16, so it would have been more my mother, didn't invite someone who didn't have family to get together with. And my wife is the same way. She is, does well at that also. Reach out to someone. What would Christmas Day be like if everyone else you knew was with family and you were alone? Reach out. Invite those who do not have family. Make them part of your day. And other times as well, not just to the holidays. Let them know your home is a place where the door is always open. A place where they can come for friendship, for fellowship. A place where they can come and maybe pour out their heart and seek counsel and affirmation from you. So advice to the unmarried. Number one, do not let your longing quench your living. Do not let your longing quench your living. Remember Rachel and Leah? 
One had their husband's love. The other had her husband's sons. And they both wanted what the other had so bad that I don't think either enjoyed what they did have. At one point, Rachel told her husband, said, give me children or I die. And he became angry and said, am I the place of God? And Leah, each time that a child was born, the scripture records, she'd say, well, maybe now my husband will love me. I put it in my own words. The longing of Leah's heart was a husband's love. The longing of Rachel's heart was sons. Don't let your longing quench your living. Second point is, we find fulfillment in life by giving to others what we desire in our own lives. Maybe that sounds a little unique to you. Let me say it again. We will find fulfillment in life by giving to others what we desire in our own lives. Turn with me to the book of Ruth. Beautiful example of how this works out and how God works this out. Ruth, the second chapter, and verse 11 through 13. Now here is Ruth, who had left her homeland, had left everything she was familiar with, and she had went with her mother-in-law, Naomi. Ruth is a type of the Gentile believer, Naomi is a type of the Holy Spirit, and Naomi was wooing this Gentile believer towards the kinsman redeemer, which is a type, Boaz, which is a type of Jesus Christ. Beautiful story. And Ruth now had made that commitment that she would go with her mother-in-law wherever she went. She said, Entreat me not to leave thee, nor return from following after thee. For whithersoever thou goest, I will go. Where thou lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people, and thy God my God. Where thou diest, I will die. And there will, I also, there will I be buried. And the Lord do so to me, and more also, if aught but death part me and thee. That was the commitment upon which Ruth left everything she was familiar with and followed her mother, her widowed mother-in-law, Naomi. And notice the impression that this lady Ruth made upon Boaz. Verse 11 of chapter 2. And Boaz answered and said unto her, It has been fully showed me all that thou hast done unto thy mother-in-law since the death of thine husband. Now thou hast left thy father and thy mother in the land of thy nativity, and art come unto thy people which thou knewest not therefore. The Lord recompense thy work, and a full reward be given thee of the Lord God of Israel, under whose wings thou art come to trust. Then she said, Let me find favor in thy sight, my Lord, for thou hast comforted me, for thou hast spoken friendly unto thine handmaiden, though I be not likened to one of thy handmaidens. And then Boaz went to tell her that he would be sure that her needs were met, that she would have food, and he also said that he would see to it that his young men uh, would protect her. So here was Ruth. She came with her mother-in-law into a strange land, her husband had passed away. Her father-in-law had passed away. But she went out day after day and gleaned to bring sustenance back to sustain the life of her mother-in-law. Let's go over to chapter 3 and verse 10.
Now Boaz is speaking to her again. And he said, Blessed be thou the Lord, my daughter, for thou showed more kindness in the latter end than at the beginning, inasmuch as thou findest, followest not young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, fear not. I will do to thee all that thou requirest. For all the city of the people doth know that thou art a virtuous woman. And now it is true that I am thy near kinsman, howbeit there is a kinsman nearer than I. And he went on to let her know that he would make sure that she was redeemed, her land, and that she would have protection and care for the rest of her life. But the thing that I want us to consider here is, although Ruth, no doubt, was longing for that protection and provision in her life, as she was waiting and as she was longing, she was faithfully providing the same for her mother-in-law, bringing in food, being her servant, and serving her. The third point is, find healthy channels to direct your energy into so that the unfilled, unfulfilled desires of your life do not become a vice that Satan can use against you. Find healthy channels to put your energy into. As you find yourself in youth and maybe a little older than youth and still unmarried, find healthy channels to direct your energy into. We could go to Acts chapter 9, verse 36. Uh, now there was in Joppa a certain disciple named Tabitha, which by interpretation is called Dorcas, and this woman was full of good works and alms deeds, which she did. And we know how that Peter was called there. She had passed away. And when he, when he went there, he found that widows and others were there weeping and holding the claws and the, the clothing that this lady had made and had given to them. We don't know much about the life of Tabitha or Dorcas, as she's called, but we do know this that she had spent her life doing good and serving others. And as she passed away, there was a deep loss felt for her life. So then we come to advice for the church. One, we need to discern and use the gifts of each member in our brotherhood. And we could spend time in 1 Corinthians 12. We could spend time in Romans 12. And both of those passages show us that Every member, every part of the body is of equal value. And each can be used to build the kingdom. Paul said the unmarried have the greatest freedom to serve in the kingdom. So I think a challenge that we face, especially in leadership, are we discerning the gifts of our people and are we giving them opportunity to put those gifts to work? in the life of the church. I don't know much about this gentleman, but I know this about his church. There's a gentleman by the name of Tony Evans. He's a church, I think, maybe somewhere in California. And when someone comes and wants to become a member of that congregation, they have a question that they ask, and they have to answer in the affirmative before they'll be taken in. And the question is this, will you commit to use all the gifts God has given you to build the church? No bench warmers there. <laughs> Will you commit to using all the gifts that God has given you to build this congregation, this church? Maybe that's a good question. Maybe we ought to consider that. But in all seriousness, we in leadership and those, everyone, let's keep our eyes open and discern the gifts and abilities and allow people to use them to build the church. You know, an unused person can easily become discontented and feel they don't really have something to give. 
But a person who's allowed to and encouraged, not just allowed, but a person who's encouraged to plug into the church and to serve faithfully, it does something. And it encourages them to do more and to do more. And it's a blessing to everyone. Number two, we must remember that God has a special place in his heart for the unmarried. God honors those who honor him. And God does not honor those who do not honor him. Notice what Jesus said in Matthew 23 to the scribes and Pharisees. He said, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye devour widows' houses, and for pretense make long prayers. Therefore ye shall receive the greater condemnation. Paul writes to Timothy, chapter 5, verse 3, says, Honor the widows that are widows indeed. So Paul's writing to this young church leader, and he said, You have a responsibility as you lead out in the life of the congregation and the believers. Honor the widows that are widows indeed. Psalm told us, Psalms has already told us that God sets the solitary in families. Rally around those who do not have family and be their family. James tells us that pure religion undefiled before God the Father is this. God and the Father is this, to visit the followers, the fatherless, and the widows in their affliction, and to keep himself unspotted from the world. Very simple verse. But James tells us that is the religion that God honors. That is the lifestyle that God honors. To visit, to encourage, and to help along in the journey of life. So this is somewhat of a short message. The other one was somewhat longer. But to the unmarried, those of you who may be getting a bit older in the time of youth and are wondering where God is leading in your life, maybe it's not towards marriage at this point, at this time, be faithful where God has called you. Be a Ruth, wherever that's at. Because there's always a Naomi that needs you. And there just may be a Boaz that's watching. And to the church, we have much that we are commanded to give and to serve and to help. Each member, wherever they're at, youth or older, may we be faithful in discerning the gifts of our people and encouraging them to use them to build the body of Christ. So I'll close the service here and turn it back to the local minister.